Hello, welcome to the Matt Pfeiffer Experience. I am here with Mish Sedeno. She is someone I connected with on TikTok, and I absolutely love her work. She talks about attachment styles, attachment issues. And if you followed me for a while, you know that it is something that I've talked about pretty frequently as well. It's important for us to understand our attachment styles. So it's, it's important for us to understand whether we are an avoidant attached person, if we are a disorganized attached person, if we are someone that might have an have an anxious attachment style. And all of our attachment styles start as, as children. And if we have one of these insecure attached styles, you might realize that you that these are the reasons why you're gravitating towards toxic relationships. And it also might be keeping you in a toxic relationship. So I'm looking forward to having this interview with Mish. And with all that being said, let's go ahead and get the show started. Hey Mish, how are you? Thank you. Welcome to the show. Um, thank you. And so you are, from what I understand, you are just transitioned from from Los Angeles all the way out to Florida. But tell us a little bit about yourself and how did you get into talking to people and teaching people about attachment styles? Thank you so much for having me, Matt. I've been you know, following you for quite some time now and I really appreciate your insights. So it's really nice to be talking with you today. Um, I am a mental health advocate. I coach peers and people of all backgrounds on how to build and maintain healthy relationships and how to do that in a world where essentially emotional unavailability and codependency are the norm. Um, the goal in my one-on-one -on -one sessions and in my videos is to help others identify and heal the wound that is creating roadblocks in their love life. So what I do is I spend a lot of time talking about attachment theory, and I'm really excited to talk more on that subject today. Um, personally, I used to really struggle in love I noticed that every relationship started and ended the same way. It was heartbreak, insecurity, explosive arguments. Sometimes there was cheating. And, you know, I realized that pain was always present in my relationships. So I was able to recognize a pattern. And I believe that when you see a pattern, it's a calling to be introspective. So I looked at all these past relationships and I realized that I was the common variable. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So yep. I looked at... I looked into therapy. I was in there for six years, and I did a lot of research into case studies and peer-reviewed journals, and I worked on healing for quite some time. And what I learned was that when we take the time to educate ourselves and use the resources available to us, love becomes a lot easier. So two years ago, I essentially decided to record a video um, speaking on attachment theory, and I posted it on TikTok. And I can't even tell you, I was so stressed out about it. I was like, how are people going to receive this? And it was in that moment, that, like, I just hit, like, a million views. But I was like, wow, this is crazy. You know, like, everyone is going through a similar experience. And a lot mm -hmm. of people reached out. You know, they said that the video brought tears to their eyes, that it opened their mind to a different way of thinking and, you know, mm -hmm. realizing that they needed to heal something within themselves. So from that day forward, I was like, I need to do this, you know. Um, people need to learn about this stuff. Maybe I can encourage them to get the help that they need, and I can give them support on that journey because I wish I had that. So, yeah, eventually I started doing, like, one-on-one -on -one sessions when, mm -hmm. you know, like, where I give people the opportunity to essentially vent 
Um, it isn't therapy. It's more like talking with a rational friend over drinks. So, Mish, uh, you hit on something that I talk about all the time that you have to be, that's important for us to be introspectives. Uh, and, uh, and sometimes I talk about that when we have conflict with others, when we have conflict with our, ourselves, that it's an opportunity for growth. And it sounds like that's something that, that you hit on, that's something that you kind of learned through your process. And uh, the reason why I want to touch on that is that oftentimes when people go through a toxic relationship, the first thing that people say is, is it them or is it me? And so when you decided to be more introspective, what was that like and how did you, you know, when you said to yourself like that, you noticed that you're the common denominator here, what was that, what was that process like and and uh, for, for people who are kind of trying to figure that part of it out? Because I always tell people that, no, it's not an excuse for other people's bad behavior, but it is important for us to understand how we got into this relationship and how we and why we stayed so long. So tell us a little bit more about your process through that. I mean, getting to that point of taking accountability was incredibly difficult. You know, no one mm -hmm. ever wants to say, am I the problem or am I part of the problem, right? Mm -hmm. So when we have a partner who is emotionally unavailable or codependent or abusive, it's, it's easy to say that's their fault, right? But mm -hmm. why are we, you know, when we throw our cast, when we cast a reel into the dating pool, all kinds of people are going to land on our hook, right? Mm -hmm. So why are we taking so long to throw that fish back in the water, right? What is unhealed within us that makes us stay? And, you know, am I, do I have problems in my own communication in the way that I'm seeing this relationship, what I'm trying to get out of this relationship? Am I putting pressure on the relationship for this person to meet all of my emotional needs? You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's really difficult to take a moment, but people need to understand that we have more control over our love life than we allow ourselves to believe, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, taking that time to just sit there and like, you know, stew in it, really just look back at every little thing that I've ever done in a relationship um, you mm -hmm. know, it just kind of gave me the feeling of having control, having power mm -hmm. over these situations. And it was an eye-opening mm -hmm. experience that I can navigate through the dating pool in a healthy way, that I can discern who is good and who is not, right? So I think Absolutely. it's something that a lot of people need to kind of sit with and figure out. I want to I touch on that real quick, that, that part where you said, um, navigate and that you now have ownership and that you now can tell whether or not someone is good or bad um, because oftentimes and, and I'm sure when you're working with people one-on-ones it's one of the things that people say people are oftentimes afraid of getting back into the dating scene um, you hear people say that all people are trash all men are trash all women are trash we see it all I'm sure you see it all over your timeline as well yeah. uh, and the reality of it is is that when we are when we're people don't realize that when people are saying that they're coming from and they're looking through a lens of black and white thinking which actually talks and speaks to the healing that you actually need to do talk a little bit more about what it's like when you're dating from a perspective of that you're able to see the difference between people who are healthy and and 
And sometimes it's not even so much that they're not healthy. Sometimes they're just not a very good fit. And how do you distinguish the difference now that you have gone through and you've done through, done the work? One thing that really frustrates me is watching TikTok or watching podcasts on YouTube. And you see a lot of people gender the problem, right? They'll say all mm -hmm. men are this way, all women are this way, masculine, feminine energy, etc. right? Mm -hmm. But unhealthy behavior can be found both in men, women, they, thems, doesn't matter. This all stems from yeah. a wound from childhood, right? So, you know, the way that you can identify who's healthy and who isn't is by taking things slowly, right? Wait until you yep. actually engage in conflict. Wait until you see how this person either sets boundaries and respects boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, how do they, can you essentially speak on your emotions? Can you, can they hold space for you without there being a negative yep. consequence? What happens is a lot yeah. of people create this premature attachment to potential partners before they actually get a sense mm -hmm. of who they are. So for me, I always tell people, take it slow, right? It doesn't yeah. matter if they're funny, smart, intelligent, I mean, no, sorry, intelligent, um, charismatic, if they have a good job, it does not matter. Those things do not mm -hmm. make a good partner. What makes a good partner right. is does this pay, does this person make me feel safe? And uh, when, and with that being said, I want to I want to gravitate towards like so. I think where a lot of people get confused is that I think that where a lot of people get confused is that we we also have to realize that in all relationships, even in healthy relationships, there's going to be both good and bad times. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I tell people, and I find myself telling people a lot, is that everybody has red flags everyone is going to have those moments where they're frustrated where they're saying things that they don't mean but with someone with a with a healthy partner or someone who's a better fit it's not overwhelming i always compare it to a street fight mm -hmm. in a toxic relationship there's no rules i always compare like uh you know street fight to boxing in boxing you notice that when the fight is over whenever there's a, dis a disagreement and that's over. They're shaking each other's hands. Oftentimes they'll hug each other. They're congratulating each other because they were able to, to fight within the boundaries. You can't leave the ring. There's a referee. No hitting below the belt. And in a toxic relationship, it's like a street fight. You can hit them, with the, hit them head, in the head with a bottle, not literally, but you know what I mean, like in a, in a bar fight, like if you're watching a movie. There's no rules. You can follow that person home or whatever. And very much in the same in the relationship, there's no rules. Like you can yell at the person. You can walk out, uh, walk out. You can storm away. And there's just no confines. Um, from more of a relationship perspective or maybe a way that you articulate this to your clients, how do how does someone know when it's a healthy level of conflict versus conflict that is toxic and maybe problematic down the road? Well, yeah, you know, I actually I posted a video about this not too long ago, and you know, I told my viewers, I'm like, we need to create rules of engagement, like you said, it can't mm -hmm. be a street fight, and you know, for you guys to engage in healthy conflict, we know that conflict is necessary, right? it helps us actually grow closer to each other if we do it correctly so the goal should never be to win or be right the goal is to understand each other and that means both parties mm -hmm. both parties not just the partner who's upset and filing the grievance right 
I believe that mm-hmm. a lot of us, most of the time, we we make these accus- well, we kind of make the attack, right? Accusatory statements um, instead of asking mm-hmm. questions. And sometimes it's because we tend to project our own insecurities, and what we can perceive mm-hmm. as a slight might very well be a misunderstanding. Um, so it's mm-hmm. always best to ask questions when you're, you know, unsure, you're upset, like. You know, did you not invite me to your family's party because you don't love me, because you don't take me seriously? Or is it because there's something going on in your family that makes you uncomfortable, right, to actually bring a partner around? Right. Um, and, you know, we have to set those rules. You know, we can take breaks in an argument as long as we communicate that respectfully. Hey, I need some time to process my emotions and gather my thoughts, right, before mm-hmm. I communicate them with you. And that's okay. Right? We should create a safe word for that, you know, where we communicate it respectfully and it's honored when it gets said. And when we take those breaks, right, from the from the emotionally charged conversation, you know, we need to mm-hmm. use that not to rev mm-hmm. ourselves up, not to let our anxiety run amok, but to self-soothe, mm-hmm. engage in a mindful activity. And when you bring yourself back down to earth, gather your thoughts and feelings so you can calmly share them. And of course, you know, the, the next rule there is the person who asks for that space um, is also responsible for communicating a time frame and reinitiating yeah. the conversation. It doesn't matter if you agree with your partner or like, you know, what your partner's upset about. Their experience and their feelings are equally valid. So when you see these toxic relationships, this anxious avoided dynamic, it is crazy what happens. You know, we kind of just mm-hmm. let it run wild. And it's so difficult to kind of essentially figure out a new way to approach conflict, at least for that dynamic. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that, that definitely needs to change. And I feel like if you see things getting so volatile, that is a red flag for us to change something. Yeah. Um, talk to us a little bit more about insecure attachment styles and, uh, and what are they? Uh, what, you know, people, that's something that, that people are talking about a lot these days is anxious attachment styles. Uh, avoid attachment styles, disorganized attachment styles. And one of the things I really love about your content and everything that, that you present are these attachment styles. Uh, what is an insecure attachment style? Uh, let's let's start there. So I think first we have to kind of define what attachment theory is, right? Um, mm-hmm. Attachment theory basically states that it is in our early years of emotional development that we acquire our attitudes towards relationships. Our caregivers growing up essentially gave us our first lesson in love. So think of it this way. Um, Our anxiety in relationships, our fear of abandonment, the way we communicate our feelings, the way we respond to and set boundaries, um, the way that we feel about commitment, these are all learned behaviors and attitudes that we essentially adopted from our relationship with mom, dad, nana, whoever was important in Mm -hmm. our childhood. Um, So what happens is that we take these behaviors and beliefs into adulthood and we don't even realize it. You know, we're out here saying, why do I always fall for emotionally unavailable partners? Why do I struggle with commitment? Mm-hmm. Why do I struggle to set boundaries? The answer is right under our noses, right? With a little bit of investigation yeah. in our work, we can solve the problem and it's 100% worth the effort. So, you know, it's important that we figure out first, what is our attachment style? So I actually devised like a, a checklist to help people Um, essentially identify their attachment style. So I'll go over it real quick. Um, So anxious attachment. 
here are some signs that you might have an anxious attachment. So the first is you feel uncomfortable being single. So you're almost always romantically involved with someone. Um, you fall in love quickly and often get roped into situationships. You get very consumed in your romantic relationships, meaning the other important parts of your life get put on the back burner whenever you have a partner. Um, you have a hard time saying no to people. You believe that conflict needs to be resolved immediately. If it doesn't, it triggers a deep-seated fear of abandonment. Um, you like to be in constant contact with your partner. If for some reason they leave you on red, for example, you assume the worst. Um, you're hypervigilant, always waiting for the other shoe to drop. So you're always trying to anticipate the moment that your partner is either going to leave, betray, or lose interest in you. Um, for the avoidant attachment style, what are some signs that you might have that, right? Um, mm -hmm. Whenever you struggle in life, you face that problem by yourself. You don't share your mm -hmm. burdens with others because you genuinely feel that no one actually cares about what you're going through. Um, you associate vulnerability with disappointment. You believe emotions are a sign of weakness. Uh, you believe that commitment gets in the way of your independence and sense of identity. When someone hurts you, you don't confront them. Instead, you withdraw. It's easier for you mm -hmm. to walk away than let someone know that they had power over you. Um, conflict and emotionally charged conversations overwhelm you. You're hard on yourself and you hold people around, around you to the same high standards. Um, and then partners have often accused you of being emotionally unavailable. Okay, so. I, th I think one of the things uh, one of the things uh, that is interesting about avoidant attached partners and a misconception that I think that a lot of people have is that people think that avoidant attached partners don't want to be in a relationship and they actually do. The misconception that a lot of people have is that avoidant attached partners also struggle with the same level of anxiety as anxious attached partners. They just they handle them very differently. One, one wants to withdraw because they're afraid of opening up emotionally. The other one is handling it by clinging because they're, they're, their wound, like you talked about, is the rejection and the abandonment. So they're handling that, that level of anxiety very differently. Right. I, I always tell my clients, you know, you're going to experience anxiety in a relationship. Um, your attachment mm -hmm. style basically just dictates how you respond to that anxiety. Yeah. So, yeah. When you were, when you were, when you were kind of going through your process, uh, you know, I know when I was going through my process and I was going through when I was healing, uh, I, I discovered that I, I leaned more towards an anxious attached partner and towards an, uh, I'm sorry, an avoidant attached partner. Uh, and I had to learn, and I had to heal and work through those wounds. And uh, when I'm um, single now, but when I, when I am in a relationship, when I am dating, um, I have to be very intentional and be very mindful of of that when I'm whenever I'm I'm talking to someone and and making sure that uh, that I'm intentional about maintaining that level of connection uh, but one of the things that I think that people don't talk about enough is that our attachment style doesn't show up just in dating with our partners it shows up everywhere so it's how we relate to people period so I realized that I had to be very intentional about how I'm maintaining my connection with my children how I am maintaining my, my connection with uh, with my team, with you know my family members, and so when I learned that perspective, it really forced me to really analyze my life overall. 
And I, and I noticed that that happens as well with people who I work with the anxious attached people as well. They notice that they might be a helicopter parent if they're a parent. Mm -hmm. They might tend to cling a little bit more. They might be, if they are in any sort of leadership role, they might micromanage a bit. And so uh, is that something that, that you experienced um, personally or uh, professionally? Yeah, I mean, I I used to struggle with an avoidant attachment style. And, you know, it still mm -hmm. comes up from time to time. You know, I'll give you an example. My partner and I, we have two dogs, right? And she has yeah. her dog. And it's a 13-year-old miniature schnauzer. It's like a little senior dog, right? And, you know, the other day, the dog was eating, right? And my partner was like, mm -hmm. good job, Pepper. Way to go. And I chimed in and I was like, good job doing the bare minimum, right? And she mm -hmm. looked at me and she was like, that was messed up. And I'm like, why? And she's like, well, you have to kind of understand that she's old and sometimes the bare minimum mm -hmm. is hard for her. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. Yeah. So, you know, it's like in these little moments where I'm just like, man, like I have these moments where I'm kind of avoidant. I'm kind of like losing mm -hmm. my compassion a little bit where I have to check myself. Yeah. And, you know, there's also moments that I have to also be intentional, like you said, where I'm actually making that time and effort for connection. And not just mm -hmm. with my partner, but with like friendships, um, professional relationships as well. Um, mm -hmm. You know, these things don't necessarily go away forever, right? They still just, they show up to the surface, but just not in a way that really, you know, interferes so much in the relationship. Um, but yeah. you're absolutely right. You know, we have to, you know, for me, what I usually tell people is that it's all about learning balance in your life. Right. Yeah. One one of the things that yeah I agree a hundred percent, and you're I'm glad that you you hit the nail on the head. It's uh, not that these things go away. We are all we're never ever ever going to be this perfect person. Even if we're working more towards a secure attached partner, we're never going to be perfect. It's more about understanding and accepting our weaknesses and understanding our deficits and not allowing for them to overwhelm us. That's when we know that, that we've, we're actually, we're actually um, processing and we're actually going through that healing process is not, not allowing those things to overwhelm us. I wanted to, uh, wanted to transition. Um, so this, this might catch you a bit off guard. And so I apologize if this is off guard. But, um, but I, I know you, you listened to a couple of my episodes, but we started a new segment. Uh, so have you, have you been listening to or watching my Am I the Asshole whenever I do like a Reddit read? Yeah, those are awesome. I love those. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. So uh, we so lately, whenever I have a guest on, I've been kind of going through a scenario. I've been reading something for them and asking for their advice and their opinion on that person's situation. So uh, I'm kind of curious to know. I'm going to read one to you and and like to know what your opinion is if there's like an anxious attached partner if there's an avoidant attached partner what you would advise this person so we're going to get give dating advice to this person who's who's um entered and uh sent this in is that I all right love that idea that's awesome let's do it all right all right so this question is uh, my ex asked to meet after four years should i meet with her hello all i need advice I'm a 27-year-old male, broke up with my ex-girlfriend 
24-year-old female in 2019. Our relationship was the stuff of fairy tales while, while it lasted. She was and probably still is the love of my life. I have never loved another woman after our relationship ended. I have tried to date and love other women since my breakup, but the feelings just won't come back, so I, so I stopped trying. We had plans to get married and have a family. That feeling was mutual, and we would fantasize about it. We were madly, deeply in love. Unfortunately, my ex had to travel overseas for one year to study. I couldn't go with her because I had to work because I had work commitments. We continued dating for about five months despite the long distance between us. She decided to break up with me. She she had needs. She needed someone, and I was too far away. Uh, that is how I justified her decision. It took about three years for me to stop missing her and thinking about her. One day, I just woke up and sort of forgot she existed. The hurt stopped and have be and have been emotionally stable ever since. Today, I received a pleasant surprise. It, it was a letter from her. She wanted me to know that she ha she has a partner and they have wedding plans in the next few months, but she has always held out hope that we would see each other again. She would like to meet and talk so she can go into the marriage with minimal baggage in her words. Uh, to be honest, I don't know how this meeting would go because I, I wouldn't know what to say. Deep down, I think my love for her still remains, but I've accepted our breakup and the possibility that she will get married to someone else. Although I've prayed for our past across again, that by some miracle we would end up, end up back together. So while this appears, my prayer has been answered because I might see her again. She's in a serious relationship with her new man, and they plan to get married in the next few months. It is also probable that meeting once more is how she finally makes peace with the, with the fact that our relationship ended and erased me forever. I don't know how I feel about this. This could be viewed as selfish, but I don't want her to erase me. What should I do? The thought of seeing her again makes me very anxious. Deep down, I know our love was pure and true, but maybe we dated at the wrong time. So do I take this chance and try to win her back? Uh, I need, um, or two, uh, I need reunion dates, reunion date ideas if I agree to see her. Like something thoughtful, um, I could instead of coffee or a tea date. Thank you all. What are your thoughts? So it's interesting because when an avoidant is about to hit a milestone in the relationship, right? That mm -hmm. requires more vulnerability, more intimacy, and more commitment. And it's at that point, it could be, usually it could be like defining a relationship, saying I love you for the first time. In you know, when it comes to marriage, that's huge. That's a huge commitment that requires a lot of effort, mm -hmm. right? So when this person, is facing that milestone, they will get triggered and they will start to self-sabotage, right? And it could be by mm -hmm. idealizing a past partner or by just pulling away or withdrawing. But ultimately in this situation, you know, that engaged woman is reaching outside of her relationship and defining it as a need for closure, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of people believe that we need closure for, from someone else, but I firmly believe yeah. that closure comes from within us being able to be introspective, identify why something didn't work out, and just mm -hmm. saying, hey, we weren't meant for each other, right? So 
at the end of the day. Yeah, I also think, uh, I, 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 and I don't mean to cut you off, but I, <clears throat> I also think that there was a there's a possible pattern here because she was also considering marrying this guy. Yeah. And there was potential self-sabotage there as well with, we don't know the details, but all of the details about her moving away. She may have been able to find something that was a little bit more local, that was a little bit more, um, you know, especially if they're planning on getting married. And, and so it sounds like there may have been some, some self-sabotaging behavior that once we get to that, that pinnacle point of marriage and engagement, and then all of a sudden we, we start to see some self-sabotaging behavior. So it looks like uh, that's something that, that might be investigated as well. Right. So like whenever I hear a story similar to this one, you know, you can just ask a few questions and actually get a idea of the big picture of that pattern that you're yeah. talking about. Um, it really just requires about three questions moving forward in that conversation. So, you know, this is something that you see often in anxious avoidant relationships, right? And this is why people are constantly on and off and in those situationships. You know, I, I like to call it like a timeline. Right. Think of a relationship on mm -hmm. a timeline and on that timeline, you have little markers. And these are just typical relationship milestones. It can be defining the relationship, saying I love you, meeting the family, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It just keeps moving. And when you're in this anxious avoidant dynamic, what happens is as you're gradually progressing on that timeline, there is one marker for the avoidant where they're just like, I can't do this. They sabotage and they break up. Right. And then what happens after that is either the anxious partner loses all willpower and reaches out or the avoidant reaches out with like some half-ass form of communication. Let's say, for example, yeah. send a text like, hey, what's up? Or a meme mm -hmm. or a song, right? To just kind of bait the anxious partner into communication, right? Yeah. Because we know avoidants don't like rejection, right? So they want to make sure yeah. that it's okay to start talking. And then you get into this cycle, it's over and over again. And, you know, I talk to people all the time that have been in this for, you know, five, ten years. So, you know, it's really important to kind of identify the pattern and eventually just break out of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mish, you have been absolutely amazing. This has been an, a great, great episode. I think a lot of people are going to really learn and take some time to... Uh, grow through their attachment style, whether they are an anxious attached partner, if they are an avoidant attached partner. And we didn't really talk about uh, disorganized very much, but that's a combination of both. Uh, for those of you who might be asking or might be thinking about um, whether, you know, if you are an anxious attached partner. But tell us, tell us where people can find you at. Tell us where people can find more information if they want to work with you or if they want to learn more about their attachment style. Um, I know you're all over TikTok, but where else can they find information and, and find your work? So you can just, you know, most of my content is on TikTok, but I'm currently transitioning back to Instagram. Um, so you can find mm -hmm. me at Dating Cheat Codes, um, at Dating Cheat Codes. I also have a website linked in my bio for any like sessions if you want to book. I also have my email there if you want to reach out. Um, so yeah, that's basically it. Mish, thank you very much. This was absolutely fantastic. We're going to have to do this again. With all that being said, everyone who is listening, thank you guys very much for your support. Make sure you guys go check Mish out on TikTok, on Instagram, at Dating Cheat Codes. Uh, and uh, take some time to learn a little bit more about your attachment style. It's very important. Uh, the way, like I said earlier in the episode, 
it's not just dealing with your dating style, but also oftentimes it has an impact on the way that you relate to other people in other relationships as well. With all that being said, thank you guys very much. And we will talk again soon. Dream big, pop us all we dream big. Cause all we take with us is the things we can dream big.